This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project, teachers teaching teachers. Write Answers, a production of the Ohio Writing Project. My name is Noah Waspy, and today I'm bringing you another episode from our series called What's Working. Today we're going to talk with Lindsay Bruggeman, and you might remember her if you listened to, you know, all of our past episodes, which I'm sure you have. Um, in the spring of 2020, the Ohio Writing Project held a series of roundtable discussions to help teachers process what was going on with this pandemic and really just try to sort out a way forward. And Lindsay came up with a really great, I guess, catchphrase. And she was featured in one of the episodes. Um, That catchphrase was remembering to have students create instead of complete. And we'll talk to her in just a minute. But first, a poem. Yellow Jackets by Karen J. Wyant. When my father held his Bic lighter to the nests in the back of the garage, the gray paper pulp sparked, then blackened. Ashes fell, coating crawling ivy and clover. A few yellow jackets fled, one or two swirled, flying into the sweaty face of my father, but most too stunned, their usual side-to-side swag of a dance flailing in the smoke. When one landed on my arm, I stiffened. His wings settled into a still gauze, body coiled in yellow bands, the same shade as buttercups we held to our skin, cupping sunlight near our chins. Every step careful, quivering, as if neither of us knew who was supposed to sting. Today, in my conversation with Lindsay Bruggeman, we talked about how you can focus on having students build relationships both with the teacher and with each other in some really creative but practical ways. And I loved this chat with Lindsay because it was filled with like that really big, heady kind of thoughtful discussion, but it was also filled with those really practical strategies that you can use tomorrow that OWP is famous for. So with no further ado, here it is, my interview with Lindsay Bruggeman. was figuring out a way to make community work in some sense. Um, And we've been on a hybrid model since the beginning of school with remote learners. So I actually have more students on the Google Meet than in person just because we have remote learners in class too. So like a, a typical class breakdown might be, you know, like 13 students in person and like 15, 17 on the Google Meet. Um, and then I'll, I'll flip-flop students. So, you know, the B-Day students who are on the meet are in person the next day. The A are online with the remote. So just trying to figure out, because so much of our class is sharing writing and sharing thinking, you know, how are we all going to feel like we fit into this class without, I didn't want anyone to feel like an afterthought. Like, 
you know, oh, I forgot about the students on the meet or like the students in person feel like I'm only talking to the screen. Um, so that was certainly um, a learning experience quarter one. Um, I looped with two of my classes and that was really great to see how like that previous relationship just translated, especially student to student because they all looped together. It was like a group of 30 students. And so they would come up to the Google Meet, say hi to their friends that they knew from last year, sit down, they would unmute and like shout out their golden line to the whole class. And I think that really was just a testament to students feeling comfortable around other students more than anything else. So I was trying to replicate that in all my other classes and it just was not working because I was trying my tricks from in-person student learning and trying to make it work in this hybrid model. So I, I've always done peer writing groups, but at the end of the first quarter, I started some peer reading groups just hmm. where um, from some student feedback, they just said the one thing they hated the most was just being put into a breakout room. You don't really know who's going to be in there. You haven't worked with them before. So I tried to make it so that they pretty much were always working in one of two pods, their reading family or their writing family. Hmm. Um, and, and that seemed to help a lot. So they'll do things like work on a collaborative Google slide, like we'll play the blame game where, where we'll, um, like after reading an act of the crucible, you know, which character do you place the most blame on? Um, and then kind of come back as a whole class. And I think moving away from so many verbal whole class discussions and keeping those in the small group setting and pretty much all of our whole group discussions are silent discussions, I guess you would call them now. So it's mm -hmm. a collaborative Google Doc where everyone's typing in their thoughts, um, like a simple table where they're writing across the top their thoughts to some questions that I'm typing in and then responding to somebody else or it's a Padlet or a Jamboard. Um, mm. And I think that's something I'll, I might carry into other years because at the end of the bell, all 30 students have shared and responded, which never was the case with the whole class. Let's sit down and, and talk about something. Yeah, so instead of like doing the Smokey Daniels thing where everyone's writing on chart paper in person, You've mm -hmm. basically created the same kind of uh, ecosystem online. Yes. And that's actually, that was probably a day that I was most sad this fall was when I had this chart papers, what I did with the lesson last year, divided into four, everybody's got their own color marker, y'all responding. And I just couldn't, I was trying to figure out a way to make it work online where everyone felt like they had a voice and they were participating, but not only just participating, but responding. It was that authentic response that I was struggling beyond the, the discussion post where you say like, I agree, you know, yes, I too read that book. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, and, and it was my own fault because it was how I had structured it. That was, you know, the kind of responses and dialogue I was getting back. Um, so yeah, I think I think setting everyone up into groups where they're working on collaborative docs has been super helpful. There's so much to break down with all the with this way of uh, building community that you've just talked about. I heard you say that you call them like you one you put them into predictable gr groups where they know the kids and they know who they're going to work with, so it's predictable. It feels safe, I imagine. And I also heard you call them 
reading families and writing families? Is that what you call them in the classroom too? It's funny. I So I call the, them writing families. Like they know that as their writing family. And I have been calling them reading teams, I think more often than calling them families. I, I don't know why I'm doing that. Um, and that's kind of interesting because I actually envisioned the reading one being the group that would change throughout the year. Because I, I, I know in my writing in the four week with OWP, it was so nice to, it's writing is so personal. And I think building that rapport is so important where a shift I see in reading is I do think it's nice to challenge your thinking and talk to people who you're not usually talking to or who might challenge your perspectives. Mm -hmm. So uh, next Tuesday, we're actually coming back full capacity, except for the remote learners, which will be about, you know, three to three to seven per class. Um, so I was thinking that might be a natural time to switch reading groups up um, now that A and B cohorts will be back together. So I wonder if that's why I'm calling it like a team, like a team you're on for a while versus your family. I don't know. I, mean, I think that makes sense. But what in either case, what's implicit is it's not just a random group. Like team mm -hmm. is a group of people who work together. A family is a group that sticks together. So you're, it's kind of like, it reminds me like back however many years ago when I first got exposed to Donalyn Miller's work, how she called kids readers and called kids writers and just instead of just saying students or kids. It brands what's going on in a way where it makes students automatically have to be on board with the process. It seems like you kind of branded this process so that students, like you've let students know your intent up front. This is not just a group. It's a it's more than a group of kids working, doing group work, right? Yeah, and it, it's funny because I did used to say like, okay, we're going to have a small group discussion today. Um, and I would try to like upfront, you know, here's your group and it's on the board and it's not going to be a total surprise when you get in there. But I would go into breakout rooms and it would just be silent with cameras and mics off. I'm like, this is not going well. Um, and, and now it's like each group has their own kind of personality where like I know the couple groups that I need to pop into right away to get them started. I know the groups that I need to give them five minutes and then go in because they've just been socializing the whole time, which is mm -hmm. totally fine because it's so quiet sometimes in school um, that I'm good with that socialize and then I'll, I'll remind you to get started. So they kind of develop, I feel like their own kind of routines and it, it's, it's nice to see. If I may, I want to unpack some of this a little bit more because I think that you're doing something automatically that we can all try to do on purpose. Um, it seems like part of your teaching style is lightening things up while also having students do really hard, interesting work. Like the, instead of saying, having students write an essay where they try to decide who is most at fault, you called it the blame game. It automatic, like it's still probably the same schoolwork and they're probably doing it even more intensely because they're more bought in, I imagine. But what you're doing is you're rebranding it so that it feels like, oh, this is just a fun thing that we're gonna do. And it's, not, I don't mean to lighten it up using that kind of wording, but you get the gist, you get what I'm saying, right? Is that well, something you do on purpose? That's actually, I'm going to jot something down because it's making me think about my research uh, with low stakes writing. I'm, so I'm for, you know, I'm in my last semester right now. So I'm thinking a lot about low stakes writing versus high stakes assessments and like 
when I call, when I used to say like, we're going to, there's going to be a quiz today. And then I would sometimes try saying, um, all right, you know, I want you to post, I want you to post one of your, um, look at your annotations, find a quote, and I want you to post, you know, your thoughts on it, even if it's the same question, like I, I want you to analyze a quote saying this is a discussion post versus this is a quiz. It was very interesting to me, like the body language of students, um, the like the heavy drop of the Chromebook onto the desk where I'm yeah. like, I feel like you might be secretly really hoping that it's going to break if you yeah. just drop it hard enough. <laughs> Certain words are loaded, right? Yes. Yeah. But at the same time, you're not trying to like be fake. Like a lot of students can see through it when you're like trying to rename something. It seems like you just try to, you genuinely try to make it so that school feels like more of an engaging thing to do yeah. than school that you're forced to do. Well, and I was, I was talking to um, another OWP or um, earlier this week, we were trying to think through some of the choice, like reading and writing we wanted to do this week. And at one point I was like, well, what do I want to do right now to process the world? And I was like, I want to send TikToks and memes and I want to read articles. And then I want to like text my friends who I will feel safe saying like, this is how I feel. Um, and then I also want to be able to like disengage in that conversation if I need a second. And so we were trying to come up with what that is. And I feel like that's what yeah, I certainly do not always do this. Like I used to think about what I would ask students to do and I would be like, well, why did you think, why would they want to do that? That's a terrible thing to ask them to do while reading or writing. And so I think when you make it an interesting question, like the analysis sometimes just comes more naturally. Yeah, it seems like you're trying to develop content in a way that feeds into the community that you're trying to build to bring it back to the original topic, right? Uh, building community is not just putting kids in groups. It's not just having kids do class meetings or icebreakers. It seems like building community happens in lots of subtle ways throughout a school day. Yeah, and what it like? What does that look like when throughout the school day everyone's in diff literally in different places, but then also you know in different places with how do they want to participate and you know, is there space for everyone to participate in some way? And I think um, last year, I definitely became more intentional about doing more silent discussions and gallery walks, you know, trying to value introverts a little bit more, a lot more, because it just was something that I hadn't intentionally focused on in class. And I think that that work last year helped me think through what this looks like because I had these kind of ideas for, well, how could you participate in a way that's not raising your hand and just verbally sharing or responding? Um, yeah. So a lot of your community building community is also making sure that every student can have a voice and feel seen and heard. Yeah. And I think, and some days I do it, you know, more than like, I, I end the day and I feel like that I hope everybody feels as seen as I feel like I saw you all, but, and then some days I'm like, man, I, did I ask how everyone's doing today? Um, I think especially just everything is at a rapid fire pace this year with just, we have 40 minute bells to open up as a, a Google meet and get everything going. 
And I just kind of keep trying to remind myself, not that it doesn't matter what we do and don't do and what we get through, but like, if we just feel like we're sprinting for a year, that's not going to feel good for anyone at the end of the year. But I have to remind myself that a lot. Like every week I have to look at the next week and say, what can I cut to make room for like something that probably matters more, whether it's a free write or some independent reading time and talking in a group. That's so smart because (laughs) yeah, every teacher knows this dichotomy of the teacher brain. Like I have to get through this. I have to slow down and make sure that I'm doing it well. And these two parts aren't always interacting with each other. (laughs) No. And they're sometimes they're really not. And sometimes one voice is louder than the other. And there's this weird guilt that sometimes comes with cutting something, but I'm like, you can't just keep adding things in at some point, you're just going to burst at the seam. So I have tried to, if I add something in, I'll look and try to cut at least one thing in the next week or two that I maybe did last year. Um, I kind of, I've did, I started doing that with my closet where if I buy something, I try to find at least one item to donate or to find, you know, whatever else, um, take to close mentor and try to sell. Um, so I've tried to do that with my lessons this year. It's a lot like writing in general, isn't it? Yeah. Like <laughs> you have to kill your darling sometimes in order to make sure that the message like is really potent and gets through. Yeah, it's so true. So true. <laughs> I, I could talk to you about so many things forever, but I want to respect your time. So what is the, like, whenever this episode comes out with whatever time is left in the school year, what do you hope teachers will keep in the front of their minds? I was thinking about one of the last times that we spoke about like the good bones of classrooms. And that was in a time where, you know, that was true. Like is school going to open back up in May kind of teaching And I just kept thinking, what do I want to make sure that we remember about our time together? Because it's crazy that this is how we're ending. Well, now here we are, we're going to go through a whole year teaching in this fashion. And I think now I'm trying to think, I'm trying to spin this year into a positive of what will some of the good bones be from this year that will like, um, I think more collaboration using why are we all taking notes on this separately in our notebook? Why aren't we doing this together in a Google doc? Because then we can be collaborating while I'm talking and you're not sitting there silently. Like that, that might just be a better way to do it in general. So I'm trying to now kind of flip towards, okay, what does this mean in the future? Like what's gonna stay in my classroom and what can I expand on? So maybe trying to find at least one thing that you feel like will stay with you or or you'll carry with you. So here we are, depending on when you're listening to this, in the second semester of teaching, in a pandemic. And I'm really interested to know What have you tried this semester that you'll carry with you into the next school year? If you have something you'd like to share with us, contact me. You can find my information in our show notes. And who knows, we might just feature your work in an upcoming episode of the podcast. Also, in our show notes, you can find ways that you can get connected with the Ohio Writing Project and a way that you can follow Lindsay Bruggeman's work on Twitter. 
So be sure to check those notes out. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in to Write Answers.